Hello there, and welcome to the third episode of the Half Hour Call, hosted by me, Harry Sutherland. Please be aware this podcast may contain strong language. Going forward in this series of interviews, professionals across the industry will give us their stories about what it is like to be a working professional in the arts industry today. It isn't commonplace that actors graduate from drama school and proceed to work, let alone in some of London's most prestigious venues. After graduating from Guildhall School of Music and Drama, Zach Wyatt headed straight into the British premiere of Laura Gunderson's play I and You at the Hampstead Theatre to terrific acclaim, which he starred alongside Maisie Williams. The following year, Zach crossed to the south of the river to the Young Vic to play Frank in Wild East. Staying in Southwark, naturally the Globe Theatre came calling and the 1930s version of The Merry Wives of Windsor had Zach as the young heartthrob Fenton, bringing a new mean into the word comedy altogether. Most recently, Zach can be seen playing Jimi Hendrix in Sky Art series Urban Myth, episode name Hendrix and Handel. Zach's electric energy on stage enhances his comedic talent, but at a drop of a hat, he can have you in tears. I and you at the Hampstead Theatre, just wanting the best for someone else in the room. Good afternoon, Mr. Zach Wyatt. Hey man, how you doing? I'm not too bad, pal. How about you? Yeah, I'm well. I am well. Locked up and locked in. <laughs> it's good to see you, man. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah, you're looking well. Says you. I'm loving well. the beard. People can't see the beard, but it's a great beard you're cultivating. Yeah, man. If they could, they wouldn't see the rest of my face. It's getting big. <laughs> Is it right if we uh, start off today, before we kick into the interview, with uh, some 10 quick-fire questions, just that it'll get to know you quickly? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so, Zach, are you an early riser or a night owl? Night owl. Are you green room or dressing room? Um, I think green room. Play or, <laughs> play or musical? Play. Summer or winter? Summer. One man show or huge ensemble? Huge ensemble. Pub or club? Pub or club, did you say? Yeah, pub or club. Pub. Would you retain all memories or forget everything after a year? Is that a would if? Like, like would so, I rather retain everything? Yeah. or would you, uh, would you rather retain all your memories or forget everything after a year happened? Oh, retain them all. Pre-show coffee or post-show drink? Post-show drink. Hey, good man. <laughs> Rice yeah. or pasta? Rice. And the last one, Iron Man or Spider-Man? Iron Man, easy. Why Iron Man? Uh, he's out there with it, you know? He's, he is Iron Man. There's no eggshells with him. He's bold <laughs> and proud. And um, I guess he can be seen as a little bit pretentious, but... Um, He's the smartest man in the world. Oh, yeah. And the richest. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Zach, man, thanks. Well, you, for... Sorry, go on. No, I say you're, you're Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, well, Spider-Man, of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. All right. All right. I mean, who wouldn't want like shit like that coming out of your wrist? It'd be amazing, right? Webs coming out of your fingers. And That's that. it, webs. I forgot what the word was called. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, yeah. thanks for coming along today, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, can we kick off with a little question? 
What was your first ever memory of going to the theater? My first ever memory of going to the theater, um, I think it was in, I saw like a mask performance in Bali when I was very, very young with my family. I was terrified. Um, <laughs> what was that? I think a lot of Balinese uh, mask work or, or dancing has to do with uh, the direction of your eyes. And, and there's a whole, I guess, study on different positions of your eyes and different uh I guess, openness, um, how wide you can make them present different characters. And there was this one character, I can't, I can't even remember the show, I just remember the eyes of this one lady, just terrifying me. But it was, uh, yeah, they had uh, the gamelan, they had this massive drum and, and all of these dancers on stage. So it was sort of like a dance show. Um, I think that was one of my earliest memories, but I remember being terrified. I mean, a mask show to start off, I imagine that's <laughs> pretty terrifying. Well, I, I think it was mask. I think there were masks involved. Um, I think there's one, there's one woman that was dancing, though, that I, I was petrified of, I, I think didn't have a mask. So, yeah, the mask might have saved me in that instance. But, yeah, <laughs> I think that was my first, first memory of oh, going wow. to the theatre. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you're, are you American or wh where were you born again? I can't remember. I, I was born in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, that's it. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when did you come over to the UK then? When was that? I came over, I think, I think it was 2009. Mm -hmm. I came over when I was, uh, yeah, 11. And did you come over for Tring then or was this before Tring? Yeah, no, this is, yeah, I came over to audition uh, for the school and then, yeah, and then, and then came over from them. Never, never been to the UK before. Wow. Yeah. Just all the listeners out there who don't know, me and Zach actually went to school together in a yeah, Dream did. Park School for Performing Arts back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. <laughs> Were yeah. you one year or two years above me? I can't remember. I, I graduated in 2015. I don't remember that. All I remember is I was the year below Connor. So, oh, okay. So then we were two years. Two years. That's the only, yeah. that's the only way I can remember the difference between yeah. me and you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it was because we did Immaculate, didn't we? We did do Immaculate, yeah. In, yeah. Uh, drum studs, wasn't it? That was it. And I think that was, that was my last year or our, our year's last year at school. Mm. That was a funny play, wasn't it? That was, it is. It's a wonderful play. Mm. So I, I remember being drafted in quite last minute and I remember watching the rehearsal with you guys and you did the, you did the chorus, didn't you? The mask, speaking of masks, yes. you did the chorus. Yeah, the mask. yeah it all full circle, man. <laughs> um, yeah, we did. We did. You're right. Yeah. And you Noel know and Jack. If I may say, one of my favourite memories of Tring is from, is from that play. And I, I just remember, I think it was on Founders Day when we performed it. And then th there was a line, Dennis had his monologue about Lucifer. And then you right. had the opening line back into the scene. Do you remember when the right. lights come up? And I think you yeah, said something yeah. like, that was the last time I eggs again or something along those lines. <laughs> that was it, because we were always trying to make each other laugh in rehearsals. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but the, the play is so bizarre, isn't it? It's, 
It's so bizarre. So how do you look back at your days at Tring? Was it fondness or do you look back at what's how do you look back at your days at Tring? It is yeah, it is fondness, I think. I it's um it's I guess weird kind of looking back on your days at being in a boarding school because that's an environment you never really replicate like you never really get that environment again I, I suppose unless you live with people but um yeah I had a great time mm. I had a great time and you know I've met some wonderful people that I still keep in contact with and um yeah it was a lot of fun it was mm. a lot of fun so how, how long was it then did you did you have a, a gap in between Tring and Guildhall or did you go straight into Guildhall no I went I went straight I uh in my last year, my upper sixth year, I started auditioning um, and was lucky enough to get a place. And so, so by the end of uh, 2015, I knew I was going into, into Guildhall. So yeah, it was, uh, I just had like a summer and then moved all my stuff up to London. Brilliant. Yeah. Talk to yeah. me about Guildhall then. What, what was that like? Like training right in the center of the Barbican and stuff. What was that like? Oh, it was mad. Cause it was also, it was, it was new on more fronts than just, you know, going to new school. It's also going, well, experiencing a different culture, like a different bubble. London kind of, you know, I suppose when you first arrive here, it seems a bit standoffish because it's just go, go, go all the time. So it's trying to navigate, like, going to school in an environment, again, like train, that I wasn't fully aware of um, or wasn't fully comfortable with. Um yeah, it was, it was fascinating and, uh, and strange and, and weird and all the things you hear about drama school, I think the, the weird exercises you have to do um, were realized and then a little extra, you know, there was, there was always something that they'd kind of throw you that was like, oh, I didn't know we'd really be doing this. Mm. Um, but yeah, I had a, I had an incredible time. Yeah, it was tough. Mm. In what way? Very tough. Um, I think I think there's this conception of drama school that they kind of break you down and build you back up, and you know they're they're injecting you with all of these principles and rules and stuff that you need to become a good actor. And I think there's an idea that perhaps you can lose yourself a bit in it and you only exist for the roles that you're going to play, which is counterproductive. You know, you've got to be you to get to them. Um, so that was challenging. It was challenging because it was such a, a detailed look at the way we operate as humans and the way I operate as myself and what I've been doing for however many years up until that point under a microscope. Um, from various, you know, various different disciplines from, oh, this is what your voice actually sounds like. This is how you've been speaking all your life. Or this is actually how you've been carrying your body and movement all, you know, all of these years. And it, it, it was really an eye-opener in terms of, wow, there's so much, there's so much I have to learn about what I can do and what I can achieve and getting a text and building a character and all that stuff. But, but aside from that, it, it kind of really taught me a lot about myself, which is never easy. Like learning about yourself or learning things about yourself is never just like a walk in the park. Is it? It's, you know, there are conversations you have to have with yourself where you go, Oh, okay. I'm, 
I said that in that type of way. You know, what does that mean? And it was just a different type of awareness that I'd never had before in my life. And I think that was really challenging. Hmm. Was it was it what you expected going in or did you not have any preconceived ideas? I, I try not to have any any preconceived ideas about anything just so I'm not let down. Um, so I didn't when I went to drama school. I mean, I, I guess the only thing I expected was I was going to be able to, you know, get to fuck around with some people for the majority of my day for three years. Um, I, I had expected it, or rather I hoped it to be fun. And it was. So I was really, really happy with that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I, don't, I didn't have any expectations, but if I'm honest with myself, it was probably stranger than I expected. But in a good way. Yeah, yeah, but in a great way. Brilliant. So when, so when, how long after from Guildhall then did Hampstead come calling from the time of you graduated? And how long was that gap? Yeah, so I, I graduated in, in the summer of 2018, so it's July. Hmm. Um, and I, well, we started rehearsing in September. Wow. Yeah. So was was you seen in your showcase by anyone or, or was it just a second you're out, you started auditioning and Yeah, yeah. I was I was um very, you know, lucky to have gotten the agent I've got now um while I was in my third year, my final year at Guildhall. Mm. And and you know, we just started auditioning and auditioning uh through the, the the final year and then it came to sort of summer and I had a bit more time to audition for things and um and then, yeah, I actually did. I actually did a self tape for the edition, first off, because I wasn't in the country. I was, I was, uh, I was back home, mm-hmm. and I did a self tape. And then, um, and then they called me in for, uh, uh, you know, a live edition. And so I, I went into the room um, when I got back into the UK, and and yeah, and then it was, and then I got to uh, like, a, I guess, like a final round edition or something. And then shortly after that. I knew I was going to be doing it. And then there was still like a wait period of, mm. oh, you're going to be doing it, but, you know, it's in a month. And so you're kind of like, oh my God, am I, you know, am I ready for this? Is they, they got it wrong. They don't want me. They, <laughs> they probably wanted the other guy that looked a little bit like me, but you know, it was nice to have a little bit of time to kind of let it marinate. Mm. Yeah. What a lovely way of putting it, marinate. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got to absorb it, you know, otherwise it just feels surreal. And it still does feel surreal. I mean, it, it was a fantastic production. And I think any, any, everyone I know who saw it said the same thing, that the, the electricity that you and Maisie had on stage was, it was so, it was just fantastic. There was, you know, when people say, oh, you never know what's coming next in a good play. You know, yeah. you literally didn't. It was such, it was such a, such a twisty turny play that by the time of the ending come round, you yeah. were like you felt like you were drained lying as a, a costume of a yeah. man in your seat watching right just kind of spat out the other end of it i think that's um intrinsic with lauren gunderson's work she's a fabulous writer and she i think like most com- conversations like the conversation we're having now we don't know where that's going to go and she has this wonderful way of writing dialogue that 
you know, entices you into the present moment that it's in without trying to conceive what's going to happen next. It's so real. It's so like raw that you just, you're present in every moment. And that's why I think the payoff at the end was like it was. And, you know, we had a, a wonderful uh, director, uh, Ed Hall, mm. who I think was very delicate in his approach to the type of story that it was. And he knew that in, in order to get to, you know, the end and, and, and make it as spectacular as, as Lauren had intended, we needed some sort of uh, delicacy and sensitivity throughout the whole piece. And I think, well, I think that, you know, is in parallel with the writing. Mm. Was, so was, was she in the room then while you were rehearsing? Was there not rewrites as such, but was there work on the script as it was? Cause it was the first British premiere, wasn't it? Of the play. Yeah. Yeah. Never been done before um, over here. And she was, Lauren was in the room sort of from the get go. And uh, I think she would she would dip in and out, you know, back and forth for, uh, I think like the first four week of rehearsals, and then it sort of came back and started watching the, you know, the previews and everything. But she was with us, you know, right up until curtain, pretty much. Um, so and and that was that was an experience that was so new, right? Like, because how often do you get to work on a a piece of writing with the writer sat right in the room. You get you so many questions already get answered just from that presence being in the room. Was that um, and that was was that daunting? Maybe having her in the room, or it was it was daunting because you know it's one thing to have a relationship with a director and go, oh yeah, we can kind of create this image and oh, this is what we kind of want it to look like and this is how it should feel, and then a uh, sorry a writer comes in and goes, well, this is what it means. Mm. and it doesn't matter what it looks like it doesn't matter what it feels like this is what I meant when I write this and uh I think that's equally as well if not more important than all of the other stuff is knowing actually where the words are coming from and kind of what her impetus was for them and the general vibe of the whole piece was was she was so helpful with that Mm. but it was it was daunting because you're constantly thinking oh god you know I always think writers must write with their characters' voices in their head. And I'm not doing the voice that they wanted. Not like an accent or a dialect or nothing like this, but just like how the character takes up verbal space. Like, and I, you know, that's a worry that, um, especially being straight out of drama school, you kind of got this mentality of, oh, I, you know, I want to do it for a, a good more. I want to do it for good feedback or I want to be, uh, for the first two years of your training uh you're kind of looking for that you're kind of looking for some sort of guidance or some sort of idea that you're on the right track um and yeah quickly quickly i think you kind of get rid of that and, and trust yourself and and she was integral in that for me i trusting myself she you know hmm. was very open about um following following your instincts was, and what, was she open about with say because like you know like you, you said there that, that ed who directed it was had this idea of how it needed to track through so the ending worked was she yeah. uh was she saying you know like edging you along those parts or was she completely 
that I'm right or I'm not part of this in terms of how it should go. This is all, do you know what I mean? What, what was the, the, uh, the, the extent of her involvement in terms of how it should feel as a play to the audience? I, I, do you know what, what's really interesting is I was quite taken with her uh, what's that word? Re the relinquishing of control. Mm. Like she had this wonderful quality of letting us follow something and letting us, you know, encouraging us to follow our instincts to to create something that felt real for us because obviously we're different people to the people that originally put on the play in the States. And I think she wanted to um, harness a bit of that to make it a new piece because I guess there's a element that no matter what you write, it's never going to be just one thing. Mm -hmm. And so her ability to just be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that, I think what you're doing is great. Um, I mean, she would always be a last resort sounds wrong, but she would always be the person that we would turn to once we had kind of sorted an idea out or sorted a, a, a scene out. She would always be the person that we talked to and go, Hey, are we, are we crazy here? Is this working? Is this what you think mm. should be happening? And, and almost always it would be yes. And sometimes it would be yes, and you could do, or yes, but try, you know, there would always be a little bit of a nudging. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a very open rehearsal room. And, and hopefully it gets streamed again online, because it was, it, I mean, I remember watching it when, is it Instagram? They streamed. Yeah. Yeah, it was so good yeah, to see right. it on, on the screen again. It was brilliant. And it's, I think it's one of the first times something like that has, has ever been done. Uh, mm. the great thing about Instagram is you know you have people that might have never gone to the theater you know and, and are only watching TV program on Netflix or whatever it is but but it this play was able to connect with them on a platform that they're accustomed to um, and actually get them get them involved in the theatrical world that I guess there's a stigma about it being like, no, oh, why would you go and see a play when you can just go and see a film? But I think this incorporated a, an age group that perhaps harbored that belief or perhaps had never been to the theater or perhaps never heard about it. I mean, and also, you know, Maisie's following is massive mm. and she's got so many cool fans. So that, coupled with Instagram really brought a new life to the to the play so I, I agree I hope so and also as well because Instagram is on the phone one may argue that it's easier to watch you don't have to turn the telly on you can just everyone's always exactly. on the phones aren't they exactly yeah so I want to I'm going to reference something now but I want to come back to it because this oh, wasn't no. the only time you've worked with Ed Hall is it you've recently no no it isn't yeah What's can you tell us about the most recent time? I think you get it's out there, isn't it? Yeah, it's out there. I did. Um, I uh, I played a, a tennis coach in Blythe Spirit. He, uh, he directed Noel Coward's play Blythe Spirit as a film, and um, with Dan Stevens and, and Amelia Fox and Isla Fisher and um, I, Jimmy Dench, I think. And yeah, and I uh, I had a small role in that. Um, Brilliant sort of like a year later well no i think less maybe six months later 
Yeah. And it, that was my first ever filming experience. How was that? Scary, man. Yo, very, very scary. Okay. Um, it's almost like you're dropped to the other side of it, aren't you? Like, I, I, I'm not going to claim to have, you know, knowledge to the nth degree about what the what life is on set but i know that in a in a rehearsal room for a play you all meet everybody you know you meet the set designers you meet the costumes you meet the sound you meet the lighting you meet the director the writer you meet all of these people you meet everyone that you're creating this world with um and you start from scratch and you all build a piece of this jigsaw puzzle together do you know what i mean like we're all putting the pieces down together Whereas in, when I showed up on the set of, of Blythe Spirit, I didn't know anybody. Everybody was already there. I jumped in. They had already been filming. It was a very uh, ostracized feeling, I guess, because you're, you're coming in to, to fulfill a role and to do a job, and then you go away. As opposed to when you come in, everyone's coming at the same time. When you go away, everyone's going away at the same time. Um, I, mean, I don't mean that I, I, it was a bad experience or I felt uncomfortable. It was just the feel. It was just, I guess it was so big. It was so, the scale of, of TV and film just seems a bit grander because there are so many people behind the scenes, in the scenes that you, you know, don't see working to make something magical. Um, and it's, I think it's, it can, and it was for me, especially my first job, easy to feel a little bit lost within that. Mm. But I imagine having Ed there to sort of not hold your hand, but sort of be there. Was he, was, I'd yeah, say he was I, there yeah. when you were filming and stuff. And One familiar face is kind of all you need. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. So can I, can I go back a bit? Because I, I just wanted to link yeah, the two. I, I can't wait for that film to come out. It looks hilarious. It does look brilliant. It does. It really, yeah. <laughs> so when, so... You did Iron You, and then yeah. and then you're at the Young Vic. Yes. How how did that come up? Because is is Wild East was that a new play or was, was that is it? A, what is no, that? no. Um, I've never heard of it. Was, yeah, yeah. It's uh no, it's been around. I think it's. I'm not sure if it's the first time they've done it at uh, at the Young Vic. I don't. I know. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they've done it there before, but um. Yeah, well, it was coming up until Christmas and I was, um, you know, looking for a new job and auditioning and, and stuff. And, and I got this edition through. Um, and the play is, well, it's a, it's a three-hander and it's nuts. It is nuts. It is one of the most compelling, intriguing, eccentric uh I what hour and a half pieces of theater that I've, I've had the pleasure of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was one of the additions that you, um, they asked you to pick a scene to audition with. They didn't give you any material. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. They said, Oh, oh you know, we, we'd like you to pick two scenes. Oh no, they gave you one scene to do, I think. And then they were, Oh, we'd like you to pick another one. Um, and and there was there's one scene um, without spoiling the play. There's one scene at the end of the play where it kind of it, everything kind of breaks down. 
Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. No, no, I won't. I won't. Um, and uh, well, shit, man. If I don't get a chance to actually perform this bit, it's my favorite bit of the play. If I don't get a chance to perform this, at least I'll get a chance to do it in the audition. Mm. And um, I remember doing it in the in the audition. This sort of really big scene for this character. Um, and as soon as I finished, just thinking. It's probably like way too high stakes for an addition. They probably don't want to see something that's like, ah, you know, all in your face. Um, and and it, it, you know, it, apparently it, it worked and I got a call back and then, and then I found out I got the job and I worked with an incredible director called Lekan, um, who, who trained at uh, Lambda, I think it was. Um, and his, his approach, his approach was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. We, we ran the play before we'd even talked about it. Oh. We like, we ran it. That was like one of the first things we did. In the first week or so. Yeah. What does what does that give you then as an actor? Does it give you a whole other perspective then? Fear. <laughs> it gives you fear, man. It gives you uh, a fear and an and excitement in a wonderful mix. I think the excitement that wow, we've gotten to the end of the play, and then the fear of kind of going, is is it going to work? Because you kind of heard it as a whole. I think that fear that you have perhaps in like week three or four of rehearsals when everything starts maybe fitting together um and you're looking uh, at teching things you're looking at perhaps the more minuscule details of the piece well we started having much earlier on so i guess that fear um helped us because later on down the line excuse me it didn't feel like such a big thing hmm. um and it also it also I was uh, I was alongside um, Lucy Breyers and Kemi Bo Jacobs, wow. um, who who were the other two women in the cast. And I I was I well I am a little bit younger than they are, and I was I, I, that was another thing that sort of intimidated me. I guess the fear of running the whole play and thinking, oh, uh, now that they've seen me do everything that's in the text or they having second thoughts. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I might've been able to get them on side if I just took it line at line by a time, but now that they've seen everything, um, you know, the fear of, oh, am I really right for this? But you get that out. You know, we got that out in the first week. And then from then we just had such a healthy relationship of, of risk because we'd done everything in the first week. Like, you're not going to do it again. Of course not. It's not our job. So, I'm going to try something else. Screw it. And you've already seen me do that one thing. So you're going to be with me through the night. Yeah. It, What's it the worst that this... Exactly. Exactly. What's the worst that can happen? And Lekan was, was utterly of that mindset. Try something. Why not? Why, why hold yourself back from that? Oh, but the character wouldn't do that. Well, what you said, that's bullshit. Like, <laughs> that's bullshit. Try yeah. Brilliant. I mean, I, I'm gutted. I, I missed it. I was I was working at the time, so I never got to see it. But the reviews, hey, no worries. The reviews were just terrific. Such a, 
I mean, I think I, I think the Guardian. I think, yeah. They, again, no idea where it's going. You seem to you seem to get these plays. Is, where, really? is that what they but, said? Yeah, no, no idea where it's going. I'm sure it was that. Yeah, you seem to have a knack for for playing in in these kind of plays that it's it, it's going, it's going, and something's bubbling. Something underneath is brewing. But what's brewing? Yeah. What's what's coming up? You know. Yeah, isn't that exciting though? Isn't it exciting? I think well, watching something and you as the audience kind of think you know something that the characters haven't said yet, or you you you're getting a feeling of something about to happen. I think mm-hmm. that's really powerful in plays. Maybe if it's represented just in one character, of everything's fine on the surface, but why are they tapping their legs so much? Mm-hmm. Like that sort of thing as an audience that. They, you give you give the crystal ball to them in a sense of them kind of feeling something bubbling, feeling something that I think is wonderful, and I certainly like doing it. Mm. Um, yeah. Talk, talking about that that fear of that first week of rehearsal, I, what was that fear compared to the Globe, where you're utterly exposed? Because that that must have been amazing. You know, your yeah. first three jobs at drama school, you're at Hampstead, Young Vic, and then you're on the stage at the Globe. Well, there's no yeah, yeah. That was uh, yeah, that was extraordinary. And not only being on the stage, but being underneath the sky, man. Mm. Like being underneath the sky, like what? That's something that I don't think can ever get old, or should never get old the feeling of well your insignificance while you're on stage like you're you're playing to the heavens man like you're you know what i mean and then you've got all of these people around um you know at, at foot level looking up at you um you're bound to feel a certain type of way and and nerves and fear is definitely one of them mm-hmm. uh we we actually rehearsed in uh quite a big room that was like a, a a block away from the globe. It was one of the rehearsal spaces, and uh, it, it's it's so different. You don't get the scale. You don't get the mass of that wheel that kind of like engulfs you. That sort of curve. You don't feel that in a box room, you know. Um, and and. And then again, you know, I was really, really nervous because then, you know, it's one thing to just do some modern play. It's another thing to do a classical Shakespearean play on the globe stage. Like, and, and I love Shakespeare. I love classical plays. I didn't know if I was uh, ready. Like, I didn't know if... You don't know until you know. And, and and what was so wonderful about the Globe was that there were, I, on my first day, I met um, an actor by the name of uh, Dickin Tyrrell. He's an amazing, amazing actor. And and he said, oh, is this your first time at the Globe? I said, yeah, yeah. And you? And he went, oh, no, it's my 13th. Wow. So <laughs> automatically then you're hit with wow, I'm in the presence of greatness here. Like I'm in the presence of people who I not only have acted, but are accustomed to 
acting in one specific place, like acting in a location that has different needs and has different requirements of, of the audience and you as an actor. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna dig this. <laughs> because I mean, not only am I learning from, from being on stage, but I get to watch him every night. And I get to watch not only him, but all the other people that, uh, that had worked in theater, you know, longer than I'd been to drama school, longer than I'd uh, even wanted to be an actor. Um, and I get to watch them every night for six months make these choices in front of a thousand people. Mm. And I, I get to see it go up in absolute joy. Like it's, so that fear quickly went because it was, one, it's a comedy. And I think that kind of helped. Um, and I guess with a play like Mary Wives of Windsor, um, no one's really trying to take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think, or, 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 or at least I wasn't trying to take myself too seriously. Um, but yeah, and that allowed us all to, I guess, connect in a, in a way that we wouldn't have done had it been uh, maybe a different play or maybe a different environment. But we really gelled as a group, man. Mm. Yeah. What, what was it like? Is it Peter Quigley was, played your full staff, didn't he? Yeah. And because he again, yeah. he's worked at the Globe loads of times. What was it like? Oh man! Did, and you, you saw it. You saw Mary Wise the Windsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had this amazing oh, white suit he. that I would love to get. Oh, hey, you and me both, man. <laughs> um, I, unluckily enough, I wasn't able to get it from the costume department. That was it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, he he. Watching Pierce work. I think it's got to be a highlight of my life. And I haven't lived very long. So that's saying something. Wow. Um, because, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how or what makes him so funny. But he, he just pulls you in. He's so generous with everything that he does. He just he like hugs you with his jokes. He hugs you with his comedy. Mm. And it's, I've never seen comedy come from a, such a, like a pure place of love and having that, having that as our leading role, having that as our leading dude in the play, that's magical. That's going to trickle down and affect everybody else in the show. Everyone's going to smile because they know that Pierce is up there being wonderful, but also you know really fucking nice guy and yeah and there's yeah it was always a dialogue it was always a conversation of hey well you know what do you want to do what should we do with he and with everyone in the cast it was yeah completely void of ego Hmm. would you you like to work back at the globe again if an opportunity come up do you reckon you'd ever get bored not bored do you reckon you'd ever get old of that you talk about that feeling of the sky do you think, say, if you work there 200 times, that will never get old, walking out? I don't think I'd let it. I don't think I'd let myself. Um, I remember our first preview. We had, I think we had a close to 1,500 people, 1,400 people. And like, it was packed. It was packed. And we... 
we we have this whole pre-show thing where we walk through the crowd and stuff. We're walking through the crowd, and I'm like, there's way too many people here. Like, some of y'all need to go because I don't know if I'll be able to do this. Um, and we got on stage, and I think it's the closest I've, uh, or I will ever feel uh, to being a rock star, like the closest I'll ever feel to being at a concert. Because you've just got people, you know, leaning on the stage, looking up at you, putting their pints on the stage. It's such an interactive space. Mm. You're never going to get that again. And what happened when, when, when I first walked out into the stage? It was raining. How does that It was happen? raining. Well, for starters, I got wet. But, <laughs> but I, it's something that you never... It's a whole another dimension of acting that you don't take into consideration, I think, when you're doing theater. Hmm. Maybe I'm biased. I haven't had a lot of experience. But up until the Globe, when I'd been doing a play, I hadn't felt wind on my face. I hadn't, do you know what I mean? Like I hadn't felt rain on my face. The elements. Um, yeah. And that, that, that's something that we, we explored in, in our, uh, you know, in our rehearsal process up to actually getting on the stage is, is you are yeah, battling the elements. Not to mention, I think we were doing it around the time that uh, loads of helicopters, I think Trump's hel helicopters were like flying over. Well, he's always ruining the South Bank. something, isn't he? He's always ruining something. <laughs> always ruining something. Good riddance, man. <laughs> um, but that's another thing you've got to battle with as well. Mm. Someone on the South Bank shouting really loudly and everyone in the audience can hear it, uh, you know, and you will never get that in any well street theater, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And, and at its core, I think is chaotic and, and you've got to be incredibly intelligent, but with the globe, there's something about it as well that you've got to navigate. Like you said, the elements mm. um, that otherwise in another theater, you wouldn't have had to do mm. or, or you'd rehearse with them. You know what I mean? Or you'd rehearse, with some stage wind or some stage lighting and stuff. This is like, it could start raining at the drop of a hat and you'd have to just, you know, deal with it. So how, how long, how many, how many, well, how long did you rehearse then on the stage before the first preview? Or were you in the room right up until say a dress run or something? Yeah, we kind of were in right up until teching. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I imagine um, that, that initial time, like you said, you went out must have been a shock then because you weren't say, maybe accustomed to it. Yeah, I mean, we'd had, we'd had like every now and again, they'd pull a few of us out while they were rehearsing another scene to work with uh, another practitioner that, that belonged to the Globe about working on the stage because uh, it's very high. Not like if you stand in certain places, you're blocked by certain people. Uh, you're blocked by certain pillars. Certain people can't see you because it goes right round to the back, right? Mm -hmm. And then the stage is also very hard. Like that wood is very thick. Is it? Um, yeah, very, very thick. And uh, and so they would pull us out to kind of, excuse me, individually rehearse scenes while everything else was going on. So we did have a little bit of a chance to uh, to work on the stage before dress rehearsals. But um, 
but yeah, it was, it was just in drips and drabs. Mm. I mean, what, one thing I love, I love, I, I never tire of watching you act, even, even, you know, talking back at Tring days, I always enjoyed, I always remember you doing Christmas Carol when you played Ebenezer Scrooge. Right, and, uh, right. One thing I love about, about watching you is you, you have this amazing metamorphic ability like talk like talking to you now is i know this is you but it, but because i have all these memories of you playing these parts it seems like another version of you because you seem to have this great ability on stage to um yeah to completely become another person and then when i saw you as Jimi hendrix in the recent sky art series that's another person completely <laughs> that's a whole yeah other. well that's the real person right yeah. it's uh I mean that was that was amazing. Talk to us about that because I'm a massive Hendrix boy, massive Hendrix boy. Well, well, you're in good company, man. Um, oh, you like Hendrix? Is, I never knew you. Hendrix is my one of my favorite artists. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, big time. It's the reason I started playing guitar. Well, he and uh, Pink Floyd, but mm. yeah, yeah. It was kind of a, uh, I've always kind of said, well, I think one of the greatest feats you can do or most challenging feats you can do is to play a real person because mm. um, you have footage and you've got to match it up. Um, and there's a, there's a voice element, there's a physicality element as opposed to, you know, getting a role and you getting to create that for yourself. And that role is you, Johnny, you know, because it's been given to you. Um, how do you how do you go about that then? In, is, is there, in your opinion, is there a difference between looking at the text and creating an imaginary, you know, a fictional character? Is there a difference yeah. from that to creating an actual person? Is your is your approach different? Would you say? I yeah, I think I, I well, it was, and I I kind of think it has to be for me, um, because I. You know, I, the the self that I'm starting from in this instance um, has to get to a finished result. Like it has to get to this person. But if I'm just creating a character, this person is in a much wider ballpark. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't know what they look like. Like I haven't I haven't met them. Mm. I'm creating them. Whereas you know you can watch interviews of Jimi Hendrix and you feel like you're meeting him, so there's a there's an end game there. There's a there's a a result that you kind of have to match up to. Not only that, but the millions of people that know his music and know his poetry and know his uh, life, you know, and know his the type of lifestyle he led, they're gonna have an input on what they think it's like more so than they would when you just create a character by yourself. So I think it has to, it has to change. I felt that had to change. Um, and, and what was so wonderful is that I was already listening to his music anyways. I was already, you know, I had watched a bunch of his interviews and stuff because I find him fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, but watching them with the awareness now of what's actually going on behind his eyes, what's actually going on behind the thoughts that he's saying like what well, where's his essence at mm. um which was a different type of awareness yeah i did a lot of research mm. and what, what was comparing it to 
Blythe spirit and being on set there. How did you find it this time being on set? And Scott, from a practical point of view, did you find it still a bit daunting or were you a bit more, yeah, I know the game a bit now, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, I think um, the difference uh, on a on a slightly silly and base level was that in Blythe spirit, you know, I had, I had one line to fluff up and in Hendrix and Handel, I had an episode to fluff up. So there's more room for error. Um, but I was at a better place of coming to understand the way a set works and understand different people's roles. Because there's so many people walking around all the time. It's easy to kind of go, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And, and they're fixing things and I'll let them do their other thing. But I really wanted to, and the thing I wasn't really able to do on Blythe Spirits, I, I really wanted to learn about all these different jobs. Um, okay, you're a gaffer. What does that actually entail? What have you rigged up on this set? How can I make your job easier? Um because at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're communicating not only with the director and your other actor, but you're communicating with everyone on set. You're all working together to make something beautiful, hopefully. Um, and so I think it, it betters me to know everyone there that's working to make this piece, but also know the type of jobs that they had. And I, I was able to do that when we got to uh, Urban Myth because um, we had a few more days to shoot. Uh, as opposed to, to Blythe Spirit was just one. Um, and it was, it, it was a different, God, fear keeps coming up. This, I hope this isn't the title. Um, but, <laughs> but there was a different, uh, I guess, worry, to put it milder. Um, and then, you know, there are, there are people here that are closer to Jimi Hendrix than I will ever be because they've either seen him in concert or they bought one of his first vinyls. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's an age gap between me and some of the people on the set that they went, Oh yeah. You know, my mom went to go and see him and stuff. Oh, you know, she actually party or like you hearing these stories and you realize, well, for me, the first time, Oh, other people know the character a bit more than I do, or other people have a connection to the character that I might not have had. And so I worked really hard to kind of maintain um, my research and maintain how I felt about it. Uh, because I guess that's the that's the difficulty with playing a real person is everyone's got their opinion on who that person is, mm. and everyone's got the, their own way of seeing that person. As yeah. Well. Oh wow! I mean, it, it it's a brilliant episode, and I'd recommend anyone to watch it. Is it? I think it's still on Sky Arts. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think so. The Sky Arts and and now TV. Mm. I mean, I love the whole Urban Myth series. I I was like, They're brilliant. I love the Les Dawson one's quite funny as well. They're oh, that's, yeah. Brilliant set of... Um, Jimmy Bradley's, yeah, he's a wicked actor. I'd love to know that where, where, where it'll come from. There must have been a, a conversation with someone. I wonder what, what would happen if it happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're <laughs> all based on true myths. Well, but that's the thing. But Hendrix and Handel lived hundreds of years apart. Tell me, I'd love to know the start of that myth, how, how that story... So, so, do you know what I mean? I mean, it is, it's actually kind of spot on. Jimmy moved in in the episode, then is it? Is that how, yeah, man? So, so Jimmy and his girlfriend Kathy, that he'd just come back from some sort of uh tour or concert, landed. She had gotten this uh, this apartment for them in 
uh, was it St. John's Wood, I think. Um, and, and there was a plaque on it that said, you know, Handel had lived here for so many years between this year and this year, the blue ones you see everywhere. And, um, and he said, oh, wow, you know, it's really great. And so they got in and, and, and they were hungry. They went out shopping. Um, this is all in Kathy Ettingham's, uh, I think, memoirs, sort of thing, like biography. Um, and, uh, and they had an argument about um, ribs. They had an argument about her cooking food that was bad. And it was like mashed potatoes and something. He didn't like them. And um, so she went out and kind of got ribs. And, and they had this, I guess, massive argument. And that's when he wrote, um, when she stormed out, that's when he wrote The Wind Cries Mary. Mm. Um, and uh, I guess towards the later hours of the evening, um, he was walking through the house, Jimmy was, and he saw this figure, he saw this man in a nightgown with a gray ponytail walk through the walls. And he knew it was Handel. Mm. Like he, he saw it. He was like, oh my gosh, wow. Um, so comes back up to the room and tells Kathy. And I guess he took it as some sort of sign or some sort of symbol of, of what he was supposed to do because he was on at the BBC the next day. He was to, to play Hey Joe mm. with Lulu. Um, and that footage at the very, very end of the piece is the live footage of that show that happens the next day. And, and that day, Cream, uh, the band Cream, Eric Clapton, had just broken up and he had heard about the news on the radio. And so when he got there with, with uh, Mitch Mitchell and, uh, oh God, can't remember the bassist name. Um, but when he got together with the experience and they, they started playing, he turned to them and he said, hey, yo, Cream broke up. Let's do Sunshine of Their Love. And they were like, no. So he played that song, disrupted the set that they meant to have, and they got banned from the BBC. They got kicked off the air. I, I, ne I never knew that level of truth behind it. I never. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah, that's pretty to a T. Wow. That's yeah. kind of scary. Now I'm going to rewatch it again, know it, now knowing all this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I ask you um can I ask you a couple more questions if that's all right? Um Absolutely. I, I like to think that the people listening in on this maybe are a young actors maybe either at drama school or just graduated and you know with all these covid you know the covid times at rim probably thinking how the hell does one how the hell does one sort of navigate their way now in this ever in this ever growing time? And I wanted to ask your opinion on, on, on what you think live theatre's for. And if, and if, it's, if, if maybe that's an answer to maybe... Uh, yeah, well, no, no, one question at a time. What's live theatre for, Zach? Talk to me. <laughs> what do you think it's for? Um, it's, it's storytelling. It's... Um one of the most ancient forms of communication you know it, uh, it's no different to 
a Sundance or a, a, or campfire stories or and the importance that they have. It's a. It's I think the last great push at um, some sort of community-based environment that we used to live in. We're very isolated. With, apart from lockdown, apart from everything that we're going on with now, we're very isolated. And, um, and, 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 and we're very attached to the immediacy of things. Oh, gotta have this, gotta have that order online, blah, blah, blah. All, you know, it's very, very quick. And there's, there's an element of live theater and, and storytelling and that dates back, you know, to pre-civilization, I guess. That is the patience aspect of it, is everybody gathered together around the fire, around the stage in one sitting, being silent, experiencing something. All of us together having a shared experience of an experience that is being portrayed. And it's, it's one space that we can come to and potentially, you know, see ourselves represented on stage or, or see someone that hurt us re represented on stage or someone that made us incredibly loved and whatever it might be we get we get to share that with strangers with however many strangers in the audience and maybe go out and, and never speak to them again never in your life see these people again but for once for two hours you get to come and you get to sit in silence and receive something mm -hmm. And, and give your attention to something that requires your patience and requires your understanding and requires you to think at the fundamental level of it. It requires, or it should, it should provoke you or it should make you want to tell this story to someone else. That's mm -hmm. what it is, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it's one of the oldest art forms and I think that's, yeah, I think it's every time a play is put on, we are knocking at the door of our past lives that used to speak to each other in greater detail. Um, or maybe maybe not, but they perhaps had some shared understanding that we've lost and we're just tapping into that, I think. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful answer. I'm genuinely, I was, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I love oh, well, it. I, I love it. Yeah. That's yeah, powerful, really powerful. Can I finish on a question, if I may? Yeah. Uh, so I'm still getting over that. Cool. It's, it's kind of emotional, man. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. But isn't it, isn't it emotional? Isn't it like, like if you think about what's so sad about people not being able to go to the theater now or, or the social distance aspect of, you know, everyone in a little booth and you're only allowed to be by yourself watching this thing. Well, okay. Well, let me ask you a question now. Why do you go to the theater? Uh, oh, 
because I enjoy the investment as an audience member. Yeah. You know, you know, it just it sort of tags on your point. You know, you said that um, as an audience member, you're you're receiving and you have to it's patient and it's time and blah blah blah. I think it's all case of investment, isn't it? I, I enjoy yeah. going to the theatre because I, you know, your phone is switched off. There's no yeah. external distractions. You are invested yeah. in in what is what's going on and you want to feel changed, right? Yeah, yeah. Everyone becomes a psychologist when they go to the theatre, man. Like everyone <laughs> sits there and goes, they shouldn't have done that. Oh, he can't say that to her. Oh, he's only saying that because um, that's what his dad did. Oh, yeah, remember in that past scene? Well, of course she's going she's gonna to feel that certain type of way. Everyone becomes so incredibly detailed about the things that they're seeing. And if you're an avid theater goer, you, you have this arsenal of characters that you've met and, and, and heard and, you know, understood, hopefully, that you really get to look at the finite, finite details of what make up these people. And so you, you become very analytical, not in a, you know, not in a bad way, but you become very minuscule in, in your awareness of what is happening. But do you, th- but do you and- think one might argue though, following on from that point that yes, you become minuscule, but at the same time, your eyes are opening wider and wider in terms of that's, what you're seeing. That's the thing. That's the that's the beauty of it is that when you leave the theater, you kind of have a, a perspective shift mm. on things because you've seen one one hour and a half long bit of slice of life, if you will. You know, you've seen that on stage, and, and you spend so much time worrying about someone else's life, you kind of forget about your own. <laughs> or, or maybe when you do leave the theater you kind of look back at your own problem and you go, wait a minute, that's actually not that bad. Or you're right. You, you, from looking so detailedly for a while, you can then let your eyes relax almost and space out. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting concept. And, and just talk, talking about it here, I can't remember who, there's a famous, famous quote where someone says, I think the, the quote is technique is means of arriving at a statement. And you know, when you talk about when people become analytical about they, they start to analyze the plays and what they see or the musicals and stuff like mm. that. It's almost like that's the craft of it. That's the craft side, isn't it? You've got, and the craft is technique and it's direction and it's lighting and it's sound, but then there's that something else that you can't touch that you can't yeah. create, that you can't just bosh there, that you can't, you can't switch it on. And you know, you're, you're, you're a terrific actor. You know that there are some nights at the theatre and out of, out of a, say, a run of 100 performances, it might happen twice, where there's just one night where it's magic. And I'm not talking about, you know, your, your Disney set. There's just, there's an energy in the room that you can't just turn on. And I yeah. think when you're in the audience, I think you know it. You know when you're in one of those nights at the theatre. Yeah, because it's beautiful, isn't it? There's just a a real held silence, isn't there, from an audience perspective? Yeah. You think it's amazing when you're on stage that you can feel that you can feel that held silence. I mean, you can. I know when we did I and You, there was we could I I speaking to 
Maisie Williams after the show sometimes or the next day going into the next one, we talk about the previous night. And, um, you know, it's my, my first time on a, on a professional stage and, and Maisie's first time on a professional stage. So we, we had this, I guess, shared uh, naivety and, and, and curiosity of how it was going to go down. And there was, we could tell when it was good in certain moments where you couldn't hear the audience breathing at all. Wow. Or you'd hear someone go, that's what you do it for. Mm. That's why I'm up there. That's why I'm up there I'm making a fool of myself playing people that I don't have no nonsense being, or <laughs> I'm trying to get away from whatever. That's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for that small moment where I get where the penny drops from someone. And I get to hear that. Mm-hmm. I get to hear that at 835.3, you know, and someone goes, oh. and I go, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. If this is the last thing you see for the rest of your life, I'm glad I've been a part of it because because we lost that. Mm. I mean, I, I, I remember the night that I, that I saw I knew and when that last fade to black happened, there was, I'm, I'm not even joking, it was about 10 seconds before the applause started. There was, a, there was just, and I love those moments in theatre because you know when yeah. you go to theatre and the second the curtain comes down, there's an, audit, there's an applause straight away and it's like the audience just want to get out. But yeah. after I and you, there was this, what, was that <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. it was what have we just said and especially because it obviously there's a big twist but drained it drained it, it was that it was and i love those moments where you don't want to applause you want to hold on to that silence that you yeah. and Maisie created so beautifully so beautifully it's all right um yeah well, yeah, if I can ask one question and then... And then oh, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. We got a bit distracted, didn't we, there? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask if you... If uh, to any maybe actors in training at the minute, if you can give any advice maybe to people who are, say... Because I, I know quite a lot of people, say, who who had this issue while they were training where they just... They're feeling a bit lost and they feel... You know, they might be, say, two years into a three-year course or, or whatever and... Um, and just, it's, it's odd because talking to friends who, who are training or have trained, there's a common thread. And I think you touched on it at the beginning of this, where because there's this preconceived idea of, of being broken down yeah. and built back up, there's, there's almost this lost identity feeling that's maybe happening. And I was wondered if, if, if you could maybe just give a few words of maybe encouragement, maybe about the payoff at the end of it and about if, you know, if it's worth it kind of thing, you know, I'm, I'm sure it is, of course, it is, but I'll, I'll let you speak. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you you answered that already. That the payoff is definitely worth it. I, I don't, um, so I, I don't need to defend you to yourself. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I think, um, ego probably has a lot to do with it. Say again, sorry. Ego probably has a lot to do with it. Go on. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. But I'm just yeah, but the, I think it's the, the the self that you 
pedestal, the self that you put on a plinth and go, yo, okay, this is what I need to be. This is what I need to uphold and stuff. Why? Why though? No one's, no one's told you that. No one's given you that. No one's set boundaries around you. And you are at a place now in training or in your life where change should be embraced and change should be promoted um and i think it's easy to lose yourself or or to get lost or to feel a certain type of way if 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 you don't know where you're going you know what i mean if you don't know who you are and it's easy to feel that way but no one really ever does like no one really really knows and I, I couldn't like I couldn't tell you who I am. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't couldn't do that. I could give you my background. I could give you where I grew up. I could give you where my parents are. Give you where I went to school. That doesn't make me me. So wh- who am I at the end of the day? Well, I'm what I say and do. Yeah, well, I could do a different thing tomorrow. I could say a different thing tomorrow. We're only a constant array of changing thoughts and feelings, and whatever those feelings are they're only temporary the only constant in that is this ego that we've attributed ourselves going i need to be at this level i need to do this and i think in in drama school that can be heightened because you're on a microscope under a microscope all the time because you're you're having to look at yourself in immense detail but also but also in comparison with these these characters um, and I, I think what I try and do is have something that, that unifies it and gets it as far away from me as possible, which is music or writing or walking or something like that. And what I mean by that is that I can walk, I can go for a walk, I can play music and still be acting. So I mean, like I, I can go for a walk and people watch and that still be a part of my process. Or I can play a piece of music um, and understand what it is to be moved by that and still be acting because I'm experiencing an emotion that's logged somewhere so I can pull that back for later use. Everything is connected to it. And I think I was having a conversation with uh, Moses the other day and we were talking about... Oh, Moses. um, Yeah. Yeah, man. He's got a new song out, by the way. Um, also, yeah, Harrison's got a new song out as well. Um, uh, this Friday. Oh, yeah. Love to thy neighbor. Love to go your on, neighbor. Sorry. Go on, give um, it a plug. Go for it. Give a little plug for him. I am. Yeah. Out, out on all platforms now. Uh, Harrison Mayo um, with his song, Love to Your Neighbor. And uh, Moses Alexander Wilson with Split. You can find those on YouTube or SoundCloud or wherever. Spotify, Apple Music, wherever your taste may be. But yeah, this is uh, speaking of Moses, and we were saying that we're, I guess, as actors, and, and this idea about the ego is that we're so concerned with the end result and getting it right, and oh, I need to get to this place so that it looks good. Um, and sometimes it's it's a self-deprecating process along the way because we're so focused on that end result, or so focused on creating something good that we, we actually lack to take care of ourselves in in the process and i think um 
one of the one of the greatest things you can do at drama school or at training is everything mm-hmm. is don't confine yourself to one route of success don't confine yourself to one route of acting that supports your ego because at the end of the day that's not anything to fall back on it's only going to hurt you mm. and and to to adapt and to change and to let i'm not saying don't let things affect you let them affect you let them affect you to the core cry weep man weep but let it go mm-hmm. once it's happened whatever whatever it is it's it's an experience it's a feeling it's not you mm. that's the ego that's brilliant that's that's beautiful zach it's beautiful hey it's, it's been great right. to talk to you today thank you so much yeah your insight has so been much, brilliant man. thank you very much well, I'm, I'm really glad we did this. Thank you.